This is uh, Dialogue from an American Mosaic, a podcast series uh, with stories, events, and notes from uh, trips around the country, uh, talking to Americans, uh, all walks of life, about things that matter to them, our country, and help us understand who we are today. I want to take a moment to ask you to uh, please subscribe to this podcast if you have not, and uh, tell your friends. And also, uh, there are uh, many episodes of this podcast uh, going back to the very beginning that are uh, some great conversations with uh, different people from around the country. In uh, this episode, uh, I'm going back uh, to a conversation that I had uh, almost two years ago. Uh, still very relevant, uh, the things that were discussed, because we weren't talking about anything uh, specific uh, other than uh, what was going on in the country and things that are still going on today. One of the things uh, that uh, came to mind as I was uh, going back and, and re-listening to this conversation is uh, the color of conversation. And... Um, Part of that is because this is a conversation uh, with a black man, um, and it's an excellent conversation. And as I was listening, I was thinking, if you didn't see this person, uh, what would your perception uh, of this person be? And then I ran across uh, an article I read uh, about, uh, I believe this was in Denmark, and it was uh, dubbing uh, over uh, movies. And there's a, a movie that uh, Pixar just uh, released a while back. I'm not sure of the exact uh, time of this. But it's uh, basically uh, based on black characters. And the problem in Denmark is they had a white person uh, dub a voice uh, over uh, a black character. And it became uh, kind of a controversy. So it was kind of interesting because the real issue is... Um, what is this really about? Is it that a white person doesn't sound like a black person or a black person doesn't sound like a white person? So what are the real issues here? Anyway, I thought that was very interesting and that could be a very long uh, subject in conversation in itself. But this is just a conversation that I had with Walt uh, about uh, his life, his views on things, and I think it's a, it's a great conversation, and there's some things that do come up uh, with regard to uh, being a black person and uh, what that means uh, particularly to him today. Uh, let me get this on tape. I want you to say for me, uh, give me uh, your full name. Yeah. Okay. I'm Walt Brown. I live in Seattle, Washington, and I'm part of the American Mosaic. Conversations, having real one-on-one conversations. Yeah, I love it. How important that is. Yeah. You know, and I had uh, a couple of people when I was in the Midwest were sitting yeah. in talking just like this. Yeah. We're having this conversation. He said, you know, I know a little bit about you, and you know something about yeah. me, and we have a better understanding of each yeah. other. We don't have to agree. No, no, no. It wasn't about right. agreeing yeah, anything. It, it was just exactly. that's... And we, we I just, love it. We've lost... Uh, and I, I don't know... Uh, how we can, uh, we got to get past the dividers. I think agreeing to disagree um, and working respectfully with people is, is where we start. I, I think the moment that you allow yourself to view someone as less than or not having 
a valuable opinion or not sharing um, your value, being less than because they don't share your values is the moment that the, the conversation, the opportunity disintegrates. You know, it's just, we have to allow for our, our minds to be accessible. And that's, and I, I, I think that you're doing something incredibly valuable, um, regardless of how, what scale it's at. I think the, the touch points you've already created will be, will allow for people to kind of open their minds a little bit and think and understand and, and hopefully want to engage more deeply with others. So I'm, I'm really happy to be part of this. So. Okay. Start out and tell me a little bit about, tell me this background thing a little bit about, uh, a little bit about how you got here. Why don't you yeah, some of that? how I got here. <laughs> well, I, uh, I've been in Seattle for 30, almost 30 years now, but uh, came here by way of, of college in Idaho and, uh, and spending the broader time in my life in Montana, growing up in Montana and going to college there as well. Um, my parents were originally from uh, Washington, D.C. Um, and Tuskegee, Alabama. Uh, my mom was actually born in South Carolina, but uh, grew up in Washington, D.C. And, and Virginia um, and was brought up by uh, uh, five sisters who uh, adopted her. My mother was raised with those women from the time that she was eight years old uh, with an adopted sister and brother as well. And there was no formal adoption you know, back at that time in, in terms of that family, but they took her in and made her their own. And, um, you know, they instilled in her a sense of hard work, a sense of self-worth, a sense of dignity. I think the, the greatest element of that was their sense of family. Um, here were five women who shared a, a townhouse, a row house in D.C. They shared property in Virginia. Did nothing but support one another in every way, uh, financially, uh, resources, um, moral support, and just kind of driving each other forward. And uh, that you know, really has embodied itself in success that my family's had to this day. You've uh, had an, uh, an interesting uh, career. Uh, tell me a little bit about kind of how you got started in, and some of the things that you've done, uh, kind of maybe you know, leading to where you are today. Yeah. Well, you know, I started out here in Seattle as a, a landscape architect, trained uh, formally in landscape architecture and planning, effectively. I had uh, a deep interest in computer technology in college, and that led me to get deeply involved in some early stage uh, technologies. CAD at the time was one of those. Um, release one of products like AutoCAD and geographic information systems that are now uh, more the norm were not at that time. And so uh, coming out of college, I had the great opportunity to work in that space and uh, very easily found a job in Seattle. Um, while I was here working with, the, I'll, I'll name the person, Robert Shinbo, who is to this day one of my heroes in, in the sense that one of the best businessmen and, and one of the best individuals I've ever met and worked with. Uh, I had the opportunity to work with him. We did some very 
unique and uh, early work in the 3D space and design um, of landscapes and, and, and urban planning. Um, it, it really left a mark on me, but I was rather rapidly drawn out of that after working there and with a few architecture firms and engineering firms into uh, more formal technology. And uh, I started my own firm in uh, 19... 93, uh, but it didn't really take off till about 95, and soon after I met you. <laughs> and uh, you know that firm was called Visual Dynamics. We did computer graphics and animation, and it really was a, a spin-off of the, the work that I'd been doing in architecture and engineering, um, but really more focused on uh, uh, helping people understand and visualize uh, the built environment whether that was you know, buildings or spaces, public spaces, that quickly led to entertainment and software and other areas. Uh, my, one of my first major projects there was Boeing Business Jet, which we were just talking about, which was a, a, a windfall for me, in term, not in terms of money, but just in terms of engagement and learning to work with large agencies um, and, and really reputable designers and and marketing experts like yourself. And so we took off from there. Uh, from that space, uh, I was led back into architecture, uh, potentially you know, having an opportunity to work with NBBJ Architects. Uh, I spent some time with them, uh, and then quickly moved into marketing and advertising, more formally, uh, and product design now, um, since that time. So. A very varied background. I call myself a bit, a bit of a generalist. You know, the reason I'm, I'm kind of I'm doing this is because of uh, kind of the, the way the world seems to have taken a turn. This is just about how people are dealing with whatever they're dealing with today, concerns and things going forward. Right. We're at a historic time. Uh, you know, maybe we're going to have some history repeating itself, which is maybe not good history. Uh, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but today. What uh, what are your concerns? If you have any, you know, maybe you have no concerns, but uh, any concerns about uh, kind of where we are today, uh, where we're going, uh, yeah. future stuff for our kids. Uh, I think for me, the most um, alarming aspect of what's going on in our culture and society today is division and. And that, that scares me. I mean, we have always been a people of different ideas, ideologies, um, values. But I don't think I've ever experienced in my lifetime a time when it was so difficult to communicate or share or express those, those things amongst one another without first almost having a check and make sure that you're of the, of, of the same mind. And that's, that's a danger to democracy. It's a danger to just our, our lifestyle and the culture that was, has been created in this country. Um, I don't know quite how we got here so quickly and rapidly. I can, you know, we, we understand all of the different elements of what's going on in politics and society today, but it feels like there's, we've come to this nexus of um, having to make a decision. We're, we're in a transformational point in this country and globally at a certain level too and um, we need to make some decisions about how we are going to move forward as human beings 
not just Americans. How about media today? It seems, how did we get here? What's your view on, on, on media? You know, it's like we just woke up and realized that, uh, you know, Facebook's a big player, so right. it's clear, and all these social media platforms being infiltrated. Uh, yeah. You know, we've got, uh, if this was the Cold War, we'd be, uh, you know, in a state of uh, lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we're just kind of going like, oh, it's just another hack, oh, big deal. Yeah. Talk to me about, what do you think about technology in the world? Well, I mean, there's different forms of technology. We've had technology for as long as man has been able to create tools. And I, if we look back at traditional media, newspapers, and television, you know, I would like to believe that those mechanisms were objective conduits for communication, whether it be political, you know, what's going on in society in general. Um, I think that we still have those elements in the new forms of media that have, have emerged and are now more the norm. Facebook, Twitter. And, but I think that what media and social media specifically allows now is uh, for more voices to be heard. That's a wonderful thing. It's, it's paramount to us understanding one another. It's paramount to us being able to react to information that may not have been readily available to us in the past um, and may not have been transparently presented to us. I think there are also issues with that. Obviously, you know, infiltration of the media is, is something that we need to deal with and understand. Um, I think one of the things that I find the most alarming is that so many people find their information, their news through individual sources. And that might be social media, that might be a, a mobile application, it might be um, something more traditional, it might be a television or c cable station. I think there's a danger there for us in that we lock ourselves into those, form those sources being the one tr form of truth, the one source of truth, and we're not inquisitive enough at times. Uh, we let, we let the, the ability to have this information delivered directly to us so easily create a level of laziness. That I'm, I'm guilt, as guilty as anyone, you know? I lock into uh, the news for media uh, uh, distribution that I really appreciate and, and, and want to hear from the most, but sometimes have to force myself to think, you know, what is going on on the other side of the conversation? And I, and I will definitely at times go out and look for those, those communications so I can understand what I'm missing as well as the other side, other objective, what I want to know are objective opinions about what's going on in society right now. It's like um, this new form of media or the availability of so much uh, and, and uh, uh, has helped us stay in our bubbles. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's how we're in bubbles here. Okay, we're, there's people in, in the middle of the country. They're in their bubble. Right. And, uh, we're just uh, kind of grouping up with uh, like-minded, so uh, right. as you said, yeah. we don't get anything controversial, and we don't even want to hear it. Right. And we don't have time, maybe. Yeah. I think we all have experiences with that, and I think we all 
frequently now have experiences bumping into those bubbles, our bubbles bouncing off one another, if you will, um, not always actually merging. <laughs> you know, we have family, we have friends uh, that are in different states, in different countries, in different counties, that in many cases have divergent views of the world from us. And I think right now, quite often, we're locking down and, and staying inside of our bubble for the sake of not offending or not having to have a conversation about the things that are troubling us or the things that are important to us. It's not all troubling. I don't want to I don't want to be one of those people that paints the world as, you know, um, uh, with the sky is falling <laughs> brush. Um, I think there's a, a great number of things going on around us that uh, are wonderful and, and, and we have a great deal to be thankful for. We're very fortunate. Um, but there are a lot of people who aren't. And there are a lot of people who have, again, different perspectives that we need to hear. And so it's important to reach out to those people. I don't, again, necessarily do that as often or as well as I'd like to be able to. Um, but it's important. It's important to have those conversations. I have friends here in Seattle who have very distinctly opposing viewpoints from mine. Uh, but that doesn't stop me from engaging with them. Um, and I, I actually appreciate the fact that within the broader spectrum of my friends here, quite a few of us will get together quite often and have those tough conversations. It's not always easy, it's not always pleasant, but we still come back together. And that's important. I think it's something that we all need to exercise and, and practice. This, this, this kind of work ethic thing that we seem to be in, uh, this, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, I mean, I guess it's the work ethic of <clears throat> recovering uh, the last 10 years. Um, and... Um, you know, I mean, everybody's 24-7, everybody's available, everybody, uh, <laughs> yeah. everybody is available to respond to a right. text. Uh, Saturday, Sundays, doesn't make any difference, 10 o'clock at night. Right. Um, we have no time. Uh, we barely have personal time. What's going on with that? This, uh, are we getting crazy with this work stuff or what? I don't know. I, I think that there, again, are pros and cons with that as well. I mean, I can work more efficiently today than I ever have in my life, um, in my own business, um, in working for others. There are so many tools and resources and processes available for me to actually be able to engage with people in meaningful ways that allow us to get more done. Productivity can be you know, at its highest point in the way that, we, that we're able to engage now. That being said, to your point, 24-7 on, to me, is, uh, is detrimental to a great number of other things. Health, relationships, um, maintaining that work-life balance um, can be very difficult. Um, I see a lot of millennials actually pushing back on that, you know, and I think that's part of what we recognize as their... Uh, their kind of state of being now and, and what they're bringing to us. Um, and I respect and appreciate that in, in a, a great number of ways. I also um, have my own kind of value system around work and my personal life and uh, take great pleasure in turning off 
um, at times. And as someone who's more involved in marketing and sales, um, that's a more difficult thing for me to do at times. But um, if I decide to take some time off with one of my loved ones or um, spend some just personal time, I have no problem uh, disconnecting uh, for a time to make sure that I am able to uh, you know, immerse myself and turn my thoughts inward and, and really gain some introspective about you know, where I'm at in life and, and what's valuable to me and what's meaningful. Hey, you know, something I'm curious about. Well, I mean, uh, a black man, good-looking black man. Um, you know who? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, how painted with the one big brush? Uh, you know, everybody says, oh, them. Or it would be like if I went someplace and, and everybody was a different color and I was the only white guy, then, every, then I'd be like, oh, one of them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, we kind of get this thing... And um, there's um, there's no question that, and maybe I guess you said it earlier in some ways that uh, the times we're in and we've got these things that are surfacing yeah. again and uh, uh, some silly things that are coming out and uh, you know taking the knee and uh, yeah. Yeah. turning a sports event which is all inclusive everybody comes right. to sports events I don't care right. what color you are right. young, old, rich, poor whatever and you're all there and all of a sudden it's been politicized now. Right. right and I th you know that's intentional that's that's taking that and it's dividing so those are not good things yeah it's a, I mean at, in ways we're in some troubling times around that and I I'd like to think that I and and all the people around me that I love you know don't see the world that way, but the reality is that we do, right? I mean, there are, we all have some level of prejudice, I will say, um, that skews towards the things that we know and the things that are familiar, whether those are people or places or what have you, ideals. Um, I think we've lost our way in the sense that uh, maybe we're becoming selfish um, and I don't mean that in the sense that you know, we shouldn't be expressing our views about social injustice and things. I mean it in the sense that it should never disturb an American when another American expresses their opinion about this country. That's what this country, those are the ideals this country was built upon. We need to listen, make our best attempt at understanding, and react. Um, and that reaction can be to contest someone's opinion. It can be to agree and support an opinion. Um, but it should never mean that those opinions are pushed down or disallowed. And I think that's what we're seeing now. And a lot of that comes from social pressure. It's even coming from political you know, legislation. That's not where I want to live. That's not the, the, the society I want to live in. Um, you know, as an African-American man, I probably have had few, fewer, I know that I've had fewer uh, instances of, of racial bias or prejudice or racism against me um, that were vocalized or visual, right? I know that you know, we don't always know how people feel or think. Um, 
but I do know that a, a great number of people have had far worse experiences than, than me, not just African Americans, and not just people of color. It, 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 people have varied experiences all over the place. And again, I think that we need to stop and listen and understand. It's not just about tolerance. It's really about um, empathy and compassion. And once we get back to that, if we ever do, <laughs> as a people, I think we'll be back on the, the track that, you know, really we have been, we built this country around. Anything else you want to Talk about. One thing I'll say is that I, I'm most impressed by the youth in this country and the, the energy and verve that they show in pursuing their lives and the ability for a great number of those people to do that without seeing color, without, I mean, we all, again, we all have our prejudices, but they take people for who they are. And I see that in my children, I see that in um, uh, people I work with. And it's, it's, it's rewarding and it's also um, a real shining light for what this country can and I think will be um, in the next generation. We're struggling right now, but I think that uh, the youth of this country are going to make some great changes for us and I think one of the things I was mentioning yesterday to uh, someone in my family is that I'm looking forward to seeing more uh, youth in politics. We need that right now. And politics has gotten a dirty name. And I think that people are tired of the same rhetoric, are tired of the status quo, draining the swamp. Sure, it's time. But let's let that be led by people who are going to uh, inherit what we've created. And that, that makes me excited to see that. That's it for this episode of Dialogue from an American Mosaic. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, please subscribe and tell your friends.